Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. So previously at New Song Family Church, we had talked about Romans 7. We'd gone through Romans 7. And just this, this place that Paul found himself in that we find ourselves in all the time, that we want to do good, but we do evil instead. That we have the, the spirit that is just bursting out and like, Lord, I want to do good for you. I want to, I want to follow you. And our flesh is like, I want to go the other way. I want to fulfill my desires. And um, it's, it's like flesh versus new creation. And, and Paul, in the, in the passage, he says that it's not me who does this anymore. It's not me who commits the sin. It's the sinful nature in me. It's the flesh in me. And so this week, we're going to be looking at how it is that we practically fight the flesh. Um, right at the end, we, we, we ended off with Psalm 51, just uh, coming to God and saying, God, I know that I'm fallen that I'm sinful, and that even all of my sin, I can't even see it. I'm too blind to see the depth of my sin. Show me that as we come there, that God, as we humble ourselves, God lifts us up and starts to work with us. But as, as, as we go forward, and, 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 and I've been told this by many different people at many different times of my life, it's focusing on the problem never helps. But if you focus on the negative side, this flesh, that you get tripped up by it. It's like if, if you're ever told as a child not to touch the cookies that are in the cupboard that you can reach. Our natural hu human impulse does two things. The first thing it says is, don't tell me what to do. The next one is, it must taste really good because I can't have it because they said no. So it's almost like if, you, if, you, if I tell you not to think about blue, you think about blue. Right? But we need to focus on this, this new creation that we are and build that up. And, and I think the beginning of that is understanding our position before God and how God actually feels about us. So in 1 John uh, 4 verse 9 to 10, and I'm reading from the NLT if you want to follow along uh, on the Bible app, or if you have your real Bible here, that's great too. 1 John 4 verse 9 to 10. It says, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. What an amazing verse. And I've heard this many times, but as I think about it, I think just this, this truth that God doesn't place more value on us because we're, we've acted holier today or less value because we were more sinful today. He doesn't place more value on us because the new creation was on top today or more value because the flesh won out today. And it, it leads us to a place where as we, as, we, as we fight the flesh, it's not performance anymore. It's not, I'm going to do this so that God loves me more. It's no, God loved me anyways. And, and it's, it's a much better motivation. Love is a much greater motivation than fear. Right? To be scared that God is going to cast me out or he's going to be done with me. The greater motivation is that my God loves me exactly the way I am, exactly where I am, 
but he wants to work on me and sanctify me and purify me till the day that we meet face to face, that our God loves us too much to leave us the way, they are, the way we are, even though he loves us exactly the way we are. That we're no longer striving for goodness for God. I mean, for goodness for God to love, but because God loved us. It's a whole different way of thinking. In Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3, this is such an encouraging verse for me. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set out before us. We do this thing by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and you won't become wary and give up. He's the one who was the initiator of our faith. He loved us first. He called to us first. He started working in us. And this verse is saying that, you know what, Jesus is actually rooting for us. If he says he's going to start it and finish it, he has hope that he, as he works through us, we are going to turn out better and better and better and better and better. That we might lose today, but over time, more battles will be won as we learn to listen to him and submit to him. He's rooting for us. I think that's one of the coolest things. I'll, I'll never forget when... So when, I'd done, when I was playing soccer in primary school, in grade three, I was as bad as bad can be. I was horrible. And I remember um, at that time, there, there, was no, there were no, oh, he's young, just let him play. There was nothing like that. We were, we were not a great team at the time, so coach could not afford to be kind to anybody, right? So I was really bad, so I did not make it onto the team. But I went to every game and I stood on the sideline. And I remember I got this, this soccer ball once and my, my mom said, if you practice every day, you'll get really good at it and then they will see you. So I got, this, I got this soccer ball and there was this huge open area at the back of our yard and every day I just tapped the ball, tapped the ball and I put stones there and I dribbled through it. And over time I was getting better and better and better and better and better. And I remember the next tournament came up and I don't know if our coach at the time just didn't see my amazing talent, but I wasn't picked that time either. So I made sure this time he was going to see me. So as they were playing the soccer tournament, as I'm on the sideline, I'm there with my soccer ball, just tapping. Every game, tapping, tapping, tapping. I could get to 100 easy. And right at the end of the tournament, our coach goes, oh, you're really good. We should have put you in today. Right? He had no hope in me. My mom had all the hope in me. She was like, my little boy is going to be great, as all moms do, even when we're not. <laughs> but this means everything. That meant everything to me. And it means everything to me now that I have a God who hopes, right? A God who says, I'm hopeful. That's one of the things in Colossians, uh, in, in um, 1 Corinthians 13, our love passage, that it hopes in all things. That God hopes. Right? And, I, and I don't understand it because he knows all things and he knows how sinful we are, but at the same time, can hope. Which makes no sense to me, 
But that's our God. There are many things we'll never understand about him. I can be motivated that this love of Christ that desires my success will help me in casting off sin. And he describes this, this, this walk of ours as a race. And it's such a great way to see it that you're actually throwing off all these things. You're not focused on the things. You're focused on going faster, making it to the end of the race, doing as well as you can in this race. So you're taking off these things as a, a, it's, it's like a side effect of what you're actually doing. Right? It's not the main thing that you're focused on. You're not focused on the weight. You're focused on the race. And you're focused on the one who runs before you. There's a, that, that word, the, the champion. I see someone who's running before you saying, come, come, follow me, follow me, follow me. We are going to finish this race together. And that's such a comforting thing that our, that our Jesus actually runs with us as well. He hasn't left us here on our own. So as we, as we fight the flesh, we fight it with the power of the champion. The one who was tempted in all things and did not even sin once. But how do we then, if he, if he says focus on me, how do we do this? And John 15, verse 1 to 11 is, is the central part. There are, there are techniques on how to fight off temptation and, and how to win against the flesh in small battles. But it all has to be rooted in this, that we are rooted in Christ. Outside of relationship with him and deep connection with him, we cannot beat the flesh. There is no way. In John 15, verse 1 to 11, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You have already been pruned and are purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a, into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Then you, then you will produce much fruit. Uh, sorry, then you who produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. I rem remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is such an awesome picture that, that he gives us that, that Jesus is the vine, right? Or if it was a tree, Jesus is the trunk, the main part of the tree, the big part, right? Where all the branches come from. And without that, we can do nothing. And it also depicts God as this gardener. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone who really has an amazing garden. Uh, um, there was uh, an old teacher of ours. He wasn't actually our teacher. He was a teacher at St. Paul's. But I remember visiting the daughter's place. And he had this amazing garden. But as he walked around, you could see his love for the plants. 
I think he, he wanted to speak to them while we were there, but he thought we might think he's crazy, right? But he walked around just looking at every, as, he, at he, as he's showing us everything, you can just see, and this is this, and this is that, using words we didn't know, didn't understand, all these fancy plant names. But he loved, he loved his plants. And you could see every, every now and then you'd see, pick off a leaf here, he, he would cut off a, a little branch here, even as he's supposed to just be showing us, not gardening at the time, but he's so involved. And this is our God. He says, I will prune these things off of you. I'll remove the things from you. And as we think of, 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 our, of our, our fleshly self, this sinful nature, God says, I will remove those things too. And it's not an easy and painless process, right? It's cutting. It's cutting part of a living thing. And that hurts. And that's what we're going to go through. But our Jesus says, don't worry, this is in the plan. Pruning is, is, is hard, but what God promises is fruit after that. That pruning can actually take away something that might hinder you or might stop your growth completely. It might actually start to destroy you. And Jesus says, I want to take care of that. I'm going to take care of this and that and this and that. But he says one thing. What's, what's the word that you keep hearing over and over and over and over again as you read this passage? There's one word that he repeated many times. That's it. I heard it here. Yeah, abide or remain, right? Stay. Stay here. And he says, he says re remain in me and my words will remain in you. Remain in my love. And this is the thing about our, our God's love. When he's saying this, if you don't remain in me, if you don't remain in my love, you won't bear fruit. His love doesn't go anywhere, right? He's saying, stay here in my love. Remain. Abide. It's us who step away. It's us who pull ourselves out of that. He says, come back. This is the good place to be. But what that means is we stay and, and we work on this relationship with our God. Outside of that, we can bear no fruit. No goodness, no kindness, no love, no grace, no self-control, no mercy. None of that. Unless we remain in God. And we actually make an effort to grow this relationship. And Jesus does most of it. We just need to be there and to listen and to obey. He says, stay in Christ, stay in me, and I will bear fruit in you. And what's happening when you, as you bear fruit, the, the, the new creation, the spirit man grows and the flesh gets smaller and smaller and smaller in comparison to who you are as you're growing in Christ, as you remain in him. So I want to ask us as a church, are we making effort to remain in Christ? Are we spending time with him? Are we starting our day or ending off our day or going throughout the day, speaking to him, saying, God, I want to hear from you. Lead me today. And acknowledging that I can do nothing without you. Are we doing that? And people would ask, how do I remain in him if I can't see him? Because right? this language sounds like some, what someone would say. And Jesus was with his disciples. So as his disciples were hearing this, I'm, I'm thinking they're saying, yeah, you're right here. This is very easy. 
But I can think of them then when Jesus ascends back to heaven and, and it's them, they're thinking, okay, how does that work now that he's gone? And where we find Jesus, the, the easiest place to find Jesus is in the word of God. Because Jesus is the living word. So this is where we meet him. Second Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us what to, to do what is right. And God uses it to, to prepare us to equip his people to do every good work. That as we read his word, we hear him speaking to us. If you take something like lust as an example, and you, you, could actually use this, you could actually use this passage, these two verses, as a format for going through your, your, your Bible as you go through each passage. You come here and say, okay, the scripture, as you come to any passage or any topic, you say, okay, God, you say the scripture inspired by you. I hear you. And it's useful to teach us what is true. So we look at a topic, one that every one of us will struggle with, lust. Right? God, what is true about lust? And throughout the scriptures, it expresses that lust is this fake affection. It's self-seeking and destructive. It destroys for the sake of self-gratification. God tells us that is lust. As you read through the Proverbs, God, God speaking as wisdom says to, to the young man, don't fall into a relationship with this very promiscuous lady. That is all. He's saying this is lust, and it can be flipped the other way as well. Ladies, don't fall for this lustful guy. He says this will destroy you. And he talks about it. It says at some point that many warriors have died there, have been destroyed there. But that's how powerful it is, God says. So he tells us the truth about lust. And as we go on in our format, he makes us realize what is wrong in our own lives. I love when Jesus was... was preaching on the Sermon on the Mountain, he talked about adultery. And I imagine people feeling very self-righteous and Jesus probably seeing into the heart and saying, but if you look at someone with lust, if you look at a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery in your heart. And there the words of God teach us exactly what's wrong with us. He reveals to us the sin. He tells us about the truth, what's happening in the world around us. What is lust in this, in this case? And then he makes us realize where our heart is. Continues, it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So it corrects us by giving us the ultimate, the ultimate thing that is the opposite of lust, love. And Jesus says again and again, greatest commandment, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And love is, is depict, depicted as self-sacrificing, right? It says, um, Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friend. It seeks to build others up. In humility, you consider others greater than yourself. So there we have God teaching us what is right. And then it teaches us how to love throughout the scriptures. Even in the hardest of situations, it says you have an enemy, pray for that enemy. And I will grow love in your heart for that person. So we have here, kind of format to go through Bible study. So if you'd like to, to use that, that is in 2 Timothy 3, 
verse 16 to 17 and just use it as a format to go through God's word. So we, we should work hard to get this word in here and in here. And we work hard that, that there's um, an artist who, in one of his songs, says, I want to drink your word, so if they cut me, this is what I bleed. That it just flows from you. And that God can use it to, 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 wash, to wash us with his word. To clear out the things that shouldn't be there. That as his word dwells within us, that it deals with all the ugliness and all that's contrary to him. So we work hard to, to learn God's word, to meditate on it, but we also work hard to obey it. Right? That as we go through any passage of scripture, it makes no sense if we just read it and go, oh, that's a great passage of scripture. I really love that. I learned a lot. And just go about your day. That should transform you completely. Say, God, I want today to follow you. This is incredible. Teach me how to obey you. And let me put steps in place to obey this commandment. And when we do that, God's word comes to life. A lot of people have said that, you know, I tried this whole Jesus thing and it didn't work. I'm far from him. I don't feel like he's around me anymore. I don't feel like his word is alive. It comes alive when we obey. Because as we obey, we see God's power. We see God's transformation. And even in the smallest of ways, if you choose to obey one small thing today, God will speak to you. God will show you. God will show up. Another small thing tomorrow, and he shows up again. And it builds on us, and we believe him for more and more and more. And we obey him with the hardest of things. But only as we consistently strive to be in him and to remain in that love, in that place. Another thing we do, so these are the, the practical parts. Work hard to get God's word in here. Obey God's word. But also put yourself in the company of other striving believers. Right? God did not make us to walk this walk alone. Right? We are so easily influenced. Have you, have you noticed if you spend enough time around someone, you start to speak like them as well? You pick up their slang, you pick up little things that they say. Sometimes you even move like they move after a while. It even says that couples after a while start to look like each other, which I hope for Jen's sake is not true. But putting ourselves in that company, in the company of other people who love Jesus and who are striving as well, that's so important, right? There are so many things that uh, in my life teach me about God and about his, his, um, his community. And um, karate is one of the things that has, that has showed me a lot, or it just mirrors. And if you look at so many things, and that's why God says, the world around proclaims who I am. In everything in life, if you look closely, you can see God's principles. So as, as, as I started karate, and, 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 and this is a, a long story, so I have to start from the beginning. I remember as a four-year-old watching The Karate Kid for the first time. Right? Who has seen that movie, the, the original one, not the new one? Okay, all right. So the, I remember seeing the original one, and going like, this is amazing. I mean, he was just polishing a car, now he's blocking moves. This is incredible. 
right? And the part at the end where he does this thing, which is a lie, by the way, right? That is the worst move to do. <laughs> but as I saw that, I got captured by the martial arts. And I remember then, weekend after weekend, on a Friday on NBC, back in the day, they would play these 70s Hong Kong martial art films, the ones where the talking is after the person's mouth moves. It's fantastic. I love it. But I watched all these things, and then when we got to the 90s, I mean, when we got to the early 2000s, then NBC started playing the 80s Hong Kong martial art films, right, which were even flashier, and the moves were faster. And all my life, I wanted to do a martial art, right, but never got to it. And then in 2015, I said, you know what? There's no better time than now. And I called up one of these senseis. I was like, I want to learn karate. And he says, come on Monday and Wednesday. And so I come on, a, on, a, on, a, on that Monday. And I showed up that day, and the senseis were doing a display. And it was like, you know some things you see as a kid and you think, Oh, when I grow up, this is going to become more realistic. I won't be as mystified by this. These guys are just, when they punch, you hear the, all the clothes go. It was incredible. And so here I am turning into a child watching these people do this. And I'm like, I am in the right place. So I remember this, um, this lady who's about this tall starting to show me moves. And she's like, okay, you punch like this, and you make sure your shoulder lines up all the way to the, and, and, and she could see in my mind, I was kind of doubting. I was like, hmm, I don't know. I wish I could be trained by that guy over there that did a whole bunch of spinning kicks earlier in this class. And so at some point, I'm holding this bag, and she just shows, she just goes, she, she stands, and it's just effortless. She just goes, you see, so what you want to do is just hit like this, and I feel like her hit right through the bag. And I was out of breath. And she goes, oh, did I hit too hard? <laughs> but here's this person who has practiced for so long. At the time I had joined, she had been doing karate for 23 years. So all her fists and kicks were just like clean and powerful and effortless. I think of, of, of when we see other believers, right? who are striving. It's such a beautiful thing to see. Have you ever been in the presence of someone and they weren't even trying, but God just emanated from them, right? They, they were just shining Christ and it has this effect of, of, wow, this is incredible. But I remember then learning, learning moves and over the weeks, you're starting to get used to stuff, right? And we're doing these things called, called kata and kata are a set of moves that teach you the techniques of, 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 of a martial art. So they'll teach you blocks, uh, they'll teach you kicks and strikes and all these things. And over time, your block, which was maybe somewhere over here, has now become nice and smooth and hitting at the right place. And even as you do it, you feel cool every time. Like, yeah, uh-huh. And I remember one of the first times realizing, after doing it many times, that this is starting to slowly become second nature. Right? We, the first tournament we ever had was probably the most wretched karate tournament ever because even though we had learned for three months when we got to the tournament, that all went out because we hadn't practiced it en enough. It was like Street Fighter II. Right? <laughs> there it was in that place. But over time, we got used to it. And the person who walks with Jesus daily 
Over time, you get smoother, right? Over time, you get more effective. And I remember one time, this guy I had joined with, I'd, when I joined karate, there was another guy who joined with me who was um, in his, I think at the time, late 40s, but he was, he was from the NDF. So everything he did was hard. I remember us practicing these blocks. And I remember one time he surprised me and I just went, boom, pa! And I was like, oh, what? Am I a weapon now? <laughs> right? But over time, as God builds in you, you'll see that your reactions to things have changed, that God, what he says is true, that he initiates it, but over time, he'll perfect it. But then I, I, I remember when we, when we did this thing called 100 kata, it's where you'd pick one kata as a dojo, and you'd do it 100 times in a row. I remember the idea of it thinking, I'm going to die, right? That's over a couple of, and, and the sensei just said, yeah, the last time we did it, we, we did it at about, it was record time. We did it in two and a half hours. I thought, that is not normal. Please, I don't just say it like that, like it's five minutes. And so we, we, we did this, this kata and, and everything about it. You know, I still am awed by the martial arts and by my senseis when they do stuff. Still, till today, awed. But I remember when they said, we're going to do this kata and we had just learned it. And he said, do you want to know what the name this kata is? Once again, boyish moment. He says, the kata is attack and destroy. And in my mind, I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> I am going to learn to attack and destroy. Right? So we did this kata, but what was cool about it on that day was watching the entire dojo doing, doing it together. It was incredible, right? We had our senseis in front of us. We're doing this whole kata where, where even, even when we would do the, the, the shouts, it'll all be at the same time. I thought, man, this is cool. This is amazing. I felt like I was in a kung fu movie moment, right? I had the music playing in my head and everything. Everything was slow motion. And the harder it got, like you, you go up to about 50, and all the way to, to between 40 and 50, it's really tough. It's really hard. But you have people next to you who are going like, no, no, we can't slow down. We need to do everything full force. Let's go. And you push through. And up to 60, it's even harder. But then after that, it starts to become fun. It's this great thing. And we just, you just be looking around. You're like, yeah, we're doing this. And that day, I remember the first time we did that thing going like, this is a picture of God's community. That as each of us who are struggling individually stand together and are encouraged by the next person, it lifts our spirits collectively. So this thing of fighting the flesh, we have to do it alongside with other believers who will help us uh, as, as, as we're practicing in, in, in karate, one of the things that our senseis always tell us is correct one another, help one another. Because if you don't help one another here and something happens in the street and they can't defend themselves, it's on you as well. That that's what we're called to do as believers. That collectively as, 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 as we serve together, as we worship together, as we learn together, there we become individually closer to Christ and collectively. And the same thing that happens to me when I watch these, these displays of martial arts with hundreds of people. Our sensei one time went to, went to they, they go to Okinawa every couple of years, but they said that they, they trained in this, in this uh, dojo, all black belts, 
700 of them in this place where they only had about this much space in front of the person and behind the person as well. But no one collided with one another because over years, each of them individually has trained and collectively they've trained with one another. They know how to judge distance because they're always training with someone who they have to be able to hit hard but not take out to exercise control, right? They have to be considerate of one another and it plays into this place where no one is thinking, I need more space than anyone else. We are gonna do this together. And he showed us this video of 700 of them just moving in unison. It's the most incredible thing. And it says in the scriptures that physical exercise is valuable. So I love doing karate. I should, this half of this year, my attendance has been horrible, but I'll be back next year strong again. But um, God says that physical exercise is valuable, but spiritual exercise, far greater value. That this, this display of awe is collectively, these, these senseis do this to, to, together. What would happen if collectively people would see us all worship like that? This display of God's glory, this display of God purifying each person, working on every single person, daily defeating the flesh as we remain in him. So just our, just our, our points of working through this, the, the first thing is we need to understand who God is and that he loved us first. We need to understand that our God roots for us. We need to understand that growing spiritually is completely about remaining in Christ. That without a deep connection to him and without nurturing that connection daily, the sinful man will always win. The flesh will always win. Unless we stay in his word and obey it, we don't see that life-giving power, that, that his words are living and active. And then we need to put, put ourselves in the company of other believers. As we close, let's um, spend some time praying and ask God, God, where do I need to change the way I operate so that you can defeat the flesh that is in me? Is it that I don't spend enough time with other believers? Is that I'm not in your word enough? God, forgive me, and, and today I want to make a commitment to follow you. So you can start to pray, and, and when we start singing, join us in worship. This is Rico Veca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.